all right hey guys welcome welcome i uh we are going through a series called the way of the lamb it's through the book of revelations we're doing the first uh three chapters of it really getting down to the picture of understanding what this book is about but the book of revelation let me give you guys just a background again real fast it's meant for you to understand Okay? That there is a spiritual world veiled from the world that we are living in at this moment. There is a, there is a, there is a spiritual realm that's behind this physical world. So on one hand, what you have is you have men, women, people, nations, kings making choices from their broken sinful state. And on the other hand, what you have is you have a world behind that, a spiritual world that is influencing and manipulating the thoughts of men. And so you have this kind of um, dichotomy, this picture that comes up, okay? I want to share with you this picture real fast. It's from the Bible Project. If you guys watched the video I put out, um, this picture, it basically, pretty much, it, it, it sums up the idea that there are nations and kingdoms. And these nations and kingdoms rule by their authority, by their, by their choices, by their will. Yet in the background of these nations, what we have is we have the spiritual darkness that is influencing these nations, right? So as believers, you and I, we are meant to understand this dichotomy that is existing in the world in which we live. We, we can't just come into this world um, thinking only physical, because then we're not dealing with the spiritual problems. And we can't think of the, the world as just pure spiritual, because we're not taking responsibility for the physical things that are happening here. But we have to see that there's a dichotomy that's going on in our world. Okay, So when we gaze into the nation that we're living in, we have to... We are meant to understand that on one hand, there are choices that men make. There are things that people do in our country, in our nation. But on the other hand, there's, there are evil influences that is moving and driving these things. Money, power, sex, you name it. Right? When we interact with our culture today, we have to understand this dichotomy. Because uh, on one hand, we have a culture telling us and whispering to us, this is how you should act like in this day and age. This is what's politically correct and this is what's not politically correct. This is what's going to get you not canceled and this is what's going to get you canceled. In this culture that's whispering to us today, we also have to understand there is a spiritual aspect to it that is in the background of hate, self-righteousness, discord, division that is whispering, that's manipulating the culture of today. Right? As Christians, we have to understand this dichotomy. That when we engage with our fellow man, brothers against brothers, we understand that the choices they make, okay, are at times, yes, these are choices from left to right or um, liberal to conservative or one way to another. But these choices at the same time are being governed and being driven and being manipulated by outside forces. And what we see is lovelessness. We see anger. We see animosity. We see greed. We see division among men. As Christians, as believers, as people who follow after Jesus, you have to see the world in these two realms. You, you, you can't just engage in one and neglect the other. The way in which you begin to view the world must be seen in these two realms. Okay? Because once we understand this, then we understand that the, 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 the real solution to any of these issues is not just solved superficially. The, the, the real solution to any of the issues that we see in our world around us is, cannot be solved superficially. It is both physical and spiritual. And so when we engage in anything, we have to engage it both physically and spiritually. 
When we engage in the culture today, we have to engage with it physically and spiritually. When we engage in a relationship between husbands and wives, we have to engage with it physically and spiritually. When we engage in our careers and our future, we have to engage with it physically and spiritually. We have to have the eyes to see these things. We have to approach things with prayer and action. It's not just all about action and you lack the, the spiritual part behind it. You, uh, you have to approach things with spirit and truth. Jesus says, you will worship me by spirit and truth. This is how the world will know that you are my believers. There will come a time when my pe people will worship me in spirit and truth. There has to be confession and there has to be conviction. Right? The gospel is the only real long-term solution to any of these problems that we face today. And so the book of Revelation is meant for us to see that. The book of Revelation, as we're going through that, is meant for you to see the world behind the world. To, to help you to understand that when you engage with this world, you must engage in it on a two-pronged attack, both physical and spiritual. See, when Jesus came down, He came down 100% spiritual, but 100% physical. He was 100% divine, and yet He was 100% man. Right? He came to save souls and to restore the body. He came to defeat death, and to bring life, it's and that happens. It's not one or the other. So if we as believers understand this, if we as believers can see the world like this, then you can step into this world and actually bring long-lasting restorative change to it. Because you're not just going to be engaging it just in the physical matter, and you're not going to be just just this random church that's going to engage with just the spiritual matter, but you're going to be both physical and spiritual. You're going to deal with the injustice, but you're going to deal with the spirit behind the injustice. You're going to deal with the, um, the, the issues of today, but you're going to deal with the spirit of the issues today. You're dealing with it at a two-pronged attack, right? So that brings us to the passage that we're about to talk about today. It deals with uh, the letter that Jesus tells John to write to the church in Ephesus. Now, the spirits, uh, they're, they're, they are, um, there's a spirit vying for the allegiance in Ephesus. Yesterday I said the word vying, and everyone, there's like a bunch of people message me on the spot saying, AOPT, it's vying, not vying. So I want to make sure I got it right this week. There's a spirit in Ephesus. There's a spiritual realm in Ephesus that is vying for their allegiance at this time. And it's the spirit of false love. You see, there's a spirit all over us. There's, remember, there's physical and there's spiritual, right? And the physical church is doing its thing, but in the background, there is a spiritual darkness that is seeking and influencing the community and the people. And so, the best way, I mean, the best way to illustrate the, the church is, is, uh, is actually to look at the picture of a relationship. The best way for you to see the church, uh, understand the church of Ephesus, is thinking of the picture of a relationship. So let me, um, let me illustrate this to you from a YouTube video I watched when I was in college. It's called Strangers Again by uh, the Wong Fu Productions. If you know, you know. If you don't know, then you can look it up, right? But it's pretty much, it was one of their more famous ones where it talks about the stages of relationships, right? And Ephesus is the way that God the way that Jesus is connecting with Ephesus is like a relationship that he's trying to connect with. It's like a husband and wife relationship, a, um, <clears throat> a man and woman relationship, right? And in this video, the, the video called, uh, called Strangers, I'm not going to actually watch it, it's like 20 minutes, but uh, 
pretty much the, the protagonist, he, he lays out the stages of a relationship. The ups and the downs of it, right? And it goes something like this. Stage one, I'll go through it real fast with you. Stage one, you're strangers. You just met. You don't know anything about each other. But she caught your eye, he caught your eye. Great, you, you get to uh, know each other. Come stage two, which is the chase. You start to call each other. You start to talk each other to four in the morning. You start like, you know, thinking about the other person over and over. You're, you're constantly engaged after this other person. Then comes stage three. Which is, you got together, you finally, you know, say, let's be boyfriend and girlfriends, whatever. And then you get to the honeymoon stage. The stage where everything you do is just, you're connecting with each other. You finish each other's um, sandwiches, right? You, uh, you, you're, 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 everything you have in common. You, it's just this really blissful stage. Then comes the next stage, right? Stage four. You get into the comfortable stage. The stage where, you know, you can fart in front of each other. And it's kind of weird. Nothing you would do in the beginning, but now you would do it because you're comfortable. You, uh, you, you don't mind having to go out and you can sit at home and watch TV and do things, right? You get comfortable with each other. You're not trying to impress each other anymore. You're not trying to uh, remember how much you love each other anymore, but you're just, you know, you're comfortable with one another. Then comes the next stage, which is the stage of tolerance, where you just, you, this is the stage where you deal with each other. You don't want to break up, right? But you aren't passionately in love with this person. You, you, this is the stage where you begin to start thinking about, hey, you know what? Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. This is the stage where you, you start wondering if, if I can look somewhere else to find satisfaction because you're not satisfied here. And you could be doing everything you're supposed to be doing in, in a relationship at this stage and not actually be close to the person that you're in a relationship with. This is the tolerance stage. Then comes stage six, which is downhill. When this is when the fight starts happening. This is when you just can't stand each other anymore. That's what, this is when like every little thing that he or she does just annoys the heck out of you and you just constantly bicker and bicker. Then comes stage seven, which is the breakup stage. And then lastly, stage eight is the strangers again, which is where they got their title stage, right? Now, why do I, why do I, uh, why do I use that as an illustration? Because if we had to label where the church of Ephesus was, in this stage category, and this is, I'm not saying for you to actually take the stage thing seriously, but it's, it's a trend, right? But if you had to label where this church is at, this church would probably be at the tolerant stage, right? Uh, if you look at the, 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 the passage, which is from Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, let me, actually, let me read 1 to 3 for you. This is, this is the stage the church is at, okay? And uh, uh, hear, hear this out. To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so this church, right, this church in their relationship with God was this. This church was very committed. This church was very faithful to God. They were resilient, meaning that when everyone around them told them to worship the emperor of Rome, which is what people worshiped back then, they would refuse to. And by refusing to, they would be marginalized. At best, they would not get the job that they want. And at worst, they would be killed and persecuted, right? And they would be placed in harm's way. 
This church was committed to biblical truth. They wanted to be in this relationship with God, with Jesus. They were committed to biblical truth. What, what do you say? Okay, I want to make sure that what you're saying is correct. So they attacked, the, they, they attacked people who claim to be apostles. Like, I'm, I'm sure what you're saying is not correct. They were sexually pure. They hated the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans was a group and a sect of people that practiced or synchronized the worship of Jesus with the sexual cults of the day. So they brought those things together and said, you know, you have to have Christianity and the sexual cults together. And that what makes the, that's what makes the, the, the faith more, you know, bonding, uniting. So they hated that and they, they, they kept themselves sexually pure. Right? So in all picture, they were doing what a good church would do. They were, they, were, they were doing what a good relationship would be done. They're, they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing on the papers, on the books. They look great. But this is what Jesus said about them. He said this, But I hold one thing against you. You have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten your first love. Another way of saying is this, they are chasing after false loves. Okay? And it's scary. It's scary if you think about this because it seems you can do everything right on the surface, that you can look good on paper and by the book and being obedient and loyal to God and actually be very alienated to God. Do you, do you find that something? Does that sound familiar? That on paper, and if we have to look at you from a snapshot, you look good. You look great on paper. Things are awesome. You're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, but the question that Jesus was addressing to this church was this, you have forgotten your first love. The main thing that, the, that was missing in this church of Ephesus was the life of love, right? They were chasing after false love. So here, here they are. This church, this physical church, doing its thing, and, it's, and, and they're, 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 they're moving the way they're supposed to be, but in the background, there's a spiritual voice that's whispering into them, that's, that's, that's telling them other things. And Jesus says, hey, I love what you're doing. You're doing great. But you're doing it without love. And that's what I hold against you. So today, the question that I want to ask is this, how do we restore true love? How do we continue to love without coming to a place of comfortableness or tolerance to God? How do we, how do we love? How do we fight against the spirit that keeps making us chase after different kinds of love? How do we stay passionate to loving God? How do we remember to love God? How do we, how do we go back to our first love? Okay, So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So the first thing is this. Remember the one that loves you. How do you go back to true love? How do you restore true love? How do you continue to love? Without coming to a place of being comfortable, you've got to constantly remember the one that loves you. Look at verse 1 again. It says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. See, in every one of these churches, what Jesus is going to do is, prior to this, Jesus showed John a picture of who he was, all these descriptions. And in these letters, each one of those descriptions is going to be used for the church. And basically, it's, it's pretty much what Jesus wants the church to remember about him. 
And in this description, he says, I am the one who holds the seven stars, and I walk among the seven lampstands. And what does this mean? Jesus is trying to get the church, Ephesus, to remember who he is. Jesus walking among the seven lampstands, this is what it means. It represents the continual care and love he has for the churches. The seven lampstands represents the seven churches, as we learned in chapter 1. And so the picture of him walking among them, not next to them or by them or behind them, or he was positioned among them, was supposed to be this picture that he is with them, he is watching over them, he is attentive to them, he is among them, he is in the midst of them, he is loving them, he is carefully there for them. He wants Ephesus to know that he has this unyielding relationship with his church with his body, with his people. And what he's saying is this, remember your first love. Verse 4, he says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember your first love. Jesus is telling the church of Ephesus, you have to remember this relationship. You know, do you know what this relationship is? This is like a marriage relationship. Your first love is like the love of your life. That's the one you marry. Jesus is saying, I am your husband, my church. You are my bride. I belong to you. You belong to me. We are in a marriage relationship. And I know it's kind of hard for us to think in the, in the individual uh, mindset, but think of this as a whole, that God is in this relationship with you. It's not that God tolerates you, not that you tolerate God, but there is a deep, intimate relationship that He wants with us. And not only does He want it, He wants it to be consistently passionate and in the honeymoon stage forever, actually. He doesn't want you to get comfortable. He doesn't want you to get tolerable. He wants to always have you understand He loves you, He adores you, He wants to be with you. And when He looks at you, that's what He sees. Beauty. Right? And in this love relationship, in this marriage relationship that he's trying to describe, that I who walk among the seven lampstands, remembering your first love, this relationship he has, there, there comes with it a set of standards in the marriage relationship. You know, when you're single, right, you do single things. You can, you can, you can like, you know, eat, sleep whenever you want, dress whenever you want shower whenever you want, but when you enter into a marriage relationship, yeah, you trade away certain freedoms to receive something else, you, to receive a, a comfort, a security, a strength that is forever, right? You, you're in this marriage relationship, so in this marriage relationship, there's a new standard that comes about. You start thinking about your decisions and, and start wondering, hey, is what I'm going to do going to grieve this person? You start thinking about, hey, is, is what I'm going to be choosing something that will honor this person, that will glorify this person, that will make this person happy, right? You start thinking of the things you do in light of the other person. And Jesus is saying, I want this relationship to continue to be like that. So you got to remember what? I'm in a marriage relationship with you. And those of us who are in marriage relationship, you understand this very easily, right? May all your brothers, all your sisters... If you've been married, you understand this, that when you're in a married relationship, or if you're in a, if you're a dating relationship, things change as well. There's new standards that, uh, that comes out. You got a call. You can't just like go weeks without talking to the person. There's new standards that happen. In the same way, Jesus is saying, 
the way in which you remember true love, the way in which you restore true love, is that you have to understand that what we are doing here, what we are dealing with, is a marriage relationship. Right? He doesn't want to be just your, he wants to be your love. He wants, he, he doesn't want a platonic relationship with us. He wants us to remember the intimate closeness of this relationship. He wants us to constantly remember that. And the one way in which we know. So some of you guys think, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm, uh, if, if, how do you know I'm not thinking of Jesus Christ as my one love? How, I, how do you know I'm not remembering my first love? How do I, how do you know that I'm not actually understanding this relationship as a marriage relationship? You know how I know? Isn't that how you know? It's because you have forgotten to love people. See, the indication that you have forgotten to love God and you've forgotten what true love is and that you don't remember who He is is that you have forgotten to love people. Right? You tolerate people, but you don't actually love people. Remembering the one that loves you is remembering that is. is to remember that you are the one that, that, that is loved automatically translates to you are loving people. You are loving your neighbors. And this is how you know. This is how you know that you've forgotten. This is how you know that you have forsaken your first love. And, and John is, uh, or Jesus is saying, remember the height from which you came from. There was a time when you loved people. There was a time when you served people. There was a time when you gave to people. Do you know why? That when you have this love-marriage relationship, you also have a new relationship with the people around you. When you have this relationship with Jesus, you also begin to have a relationship with people around you. Okay? When it comes to the brothers and sisters in the church, you have a new relationship with them. Right? Instead, of, instead of looking at them and, and, and being judgmental about what they do and what they don't do, instead of, instead of allowing for the spirit of contempt to move and, and speak into you and, 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 and tell you like, you know what, they're not worth it, they're not good enough, or you judge them or you're, or you're prideful over them because you feel like they're spiritually immature, you begin to actually have a real loving relationship with them. So let me ask you the question, guys. Do you love, do you have relationship with people in your church like that? Do you, do you think about how I can serve them rather than just tolerate them, rather than just tolerate their existence? But do you ever think about how can I actually make amends with them if there are brokenness there? How can I actually begin to show them that I care and that I want good and the best for them? How can I use my gifts and my skill sets to actually serve them better? You see, if, if you actually have a relationship, if you, if you actually love God, what comes out of that? See, this is the spiritual part. If you actually love God, then what you do is you begin to actually love people. You begin to figure out and start thinking how I can serve those around me. You're at home and you're watching the Sunday service and you're not just watching it, but you're there and you're thinking, how can I serve my community even though I'm so far away from them at this point? How can I continue to connect to them? How can I make amends with them even though I'm so far away? And not only are you supposed to, when, when you have this relationship with God, not only do you love your church, but you begin to love your neighbors. You begin to engage with your neighbors, not just neighbors, but your enemies as well. You have a new relationship with people who disagree with you, people who fight with you, right? 
The Bible calls us to love our enemies and pray for them. Why is that? Do you know why? Let me try to give you a quick example of why this works. Here's a person who disagrees with you. And here's you, right? And here you are, and you're thinking like, let me just tell them, and if you're articulate enough, if you're smart enough, if you're well-informed, if you're well-read enough, you can probably outspeak them, out-mess with them, and pretty much destroy them and decimate them. But by doing so, you think you've won. You think you've done good for them. You think you've, you've beat the evil. But you know what you're doing? But you, but, but you know what you have forgotten? That behind the physical, there is a spiritual. Behind the physical divisiveness, this anger, this, this, this um, discord that's going on in this person's life, there is a spirit that is driving and then manipulating, manipulating them. And so here you come in, and let's say you can out perform them out, speak them out, argue them, and you pretty much knock them down, and you're thinking, yeah, I've won. I beat the evil that's in them. I beat the evil. No, you did not. You know what you've done? All you've done is you've passed the evil that's been driving them to you. Now you become the new pawn of evil that is causing you are just as divisive. You are just as angry. You are just as bitter. You are just as upset. You are just as, as um, broken as the person that you've just, bro- that you've just taken down. But you think you're right because you feel righteous about it. You feel self-righteous about it. You see, when there is a new relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden there's a new relationship with people. How do we restore true love? How do we continue to love without coming to a place of being comfortable? You have to remember the one that loves you. And the one that loves you tells you, We have a new relationship. Our relationship is like husband to wife. There is a new standard. There's a new way in which we address the world. There's a new way in which we have a relationship with the world. There's a new way in which you deal with the world. There's a new way in which you deal with me. This is what makes me happy. This is what makes me glad. And so how do you know you have that relationship with Jesus? How do you know that that love relationship is there? It's how you treat people. It comes out how you treat the people in your church, and how you treat the people who disagree with you. The Bible says you repay evil for good. Because when you repay evil, what they do is evil. When you repay them for good, you know what happens? The evil that's driving them, the spirit that's driving them, is not passing on to you. It's not moving on to you. You are not this new pond. How do you know? How do you restore true love? Remember the one that loves you. He's saying this relationship, husband and, mar- husband and wife relationship, new standard of how you approach, new standards how you conduct yourself, new standard how you love people. And this is how you know you have that relationship, is how you love people. Do you love people that way, church? Or do you tolerate them? And in our, and in our um, climate today, in our cultural climate today, Think of the way you are engaging with the narrative. Think of the way in which you are engaging with people. Are you trying to win the fight? Or are you trying to win them? Are you trying to make yourself seem smarter and better than them? Or are you trying to win their heart over even when they destroy you from the inside out? Even when they are intent on making you broken? Do you find yourself seeking, seeking, to love because that's how you know that you're remembering the one that's how you begin to restore 
true love. You remember the one that loves you. You remember that there's a new relationship, husband and wife. You remember that the love that's being driven here has come with different standards. And how do you know that? It's how you treat people. How you treat your church, how you treat your enemies. Okay? But here's the second thing. How do we fight against the spirit that makes us comfortable? How do we fight against... Um, how do, we find, how, how do we restore true love? Second thing is this. Recognize the spirit of false love. Recognize the spirit of false love. Look at verse 5. It says what? Remember the height from which you have fallen. See, the spirit of false love makes you feel like your first love is no longer enjoyable. Right? We're broken people, right, in this church. Right? And after a while, what happens? What happens with our relationship, with any relationship that you find yourself in? It starts off nice, but it grows cold. It grows comfortable. It grows tolerable. And after a while, it grows downhill. Right? For the people of Ephesus, they aren't noticing Jesus anymore. They aren't connecting to Jesus. They even recognize Him anymore. They, 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 they are, they, they're loyal. They're there. They're not leaving. They're steadfast. But there's no joy in them. Their heart does not dance. There's no laughter when it comes to their relationship. They've grown cold. You know why? Because the false, the spirit of false love is telling them your first love is not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable. Chase after something else. Chase after what's on the other side. Chase after something else. See, the spirit of false love makes you focus on the superficial only. See, the Ephesians, what they were doing was they were only focusing on the outward appearance. And it's hard not to because why? They're being persecuted. They are being uh, hunted down. And, and what's happening outside is making, them, making their life very difficult. And so they have a hard time looking deeper into this relationship they have with Jesus. It's hard not... It's hard... It, it's, they, have, they have reallocated their love towards something else. Their love that they had with, with Jesus, deep, intimate laughter, joy that they had with him is being reallocated towards something else. And this is how you know. This is how you know that your heart is being reallocated towards something else. You start chasing after other things in the midst of your relationship with God. You start chasing after other false lovers. Like what? Like Money, like career, like your body image, like your intellect. You, you, you start going to bed with all these other false husbands, thinking that they're going to make your life so much better. They're going to make your life so much greater, and then now you're going to actually feel loved by them. And the problem with all these false lover gods is the moment you get into bed with them, they make you feel ugly. Over time, enough time, they will make you feel like you, that they will leave you and they will make you feel ugly. So for example, if, you, if, you're, if you're getting into bed with career, with the spirit and the, and the lover God of career, false lover of career, what happens? You begin to start thinking that after a while, right? He's like, yeah, I'm going to chase after my career. I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to make sure my job is good. Everything is great. But the moment after a while, the false lover does what? He tells you, Look at your friends, same age as you, and yet you are so behind them. You're, you're, you're really bad. You, you're, you're, you're never going to make it. 
Right? You should be further along than you are now. You're pathetic. You're 30 years old? You have nothing to show for it? Pathetic. That's what a false lover God does. If you chase after money, if you get in bed with money, right, what happens? When you were younger, you thought to yourself, if I have this amount, whatever this goal is, whatever this golden number will be, if I have this golden number, everything will be great. And once you get to that golden number, what happens? You realize you're not happy. It's not enough. Right, so far, my son, he, uh, he has a, a savings, right? And, and at this point, you know, like, he thinks like $100 is like so much money. I told him like he, he's saving eventually to buy a Switch, you know, when he's 10 years old. I don't know. So he thinks like, you know, whatever, I don't know how much a Switch costs. I told him like $200, $300, right? He thinks that's such a huge amount. But when you come to my age, you come to your age sometimes, it's not, it's a big amount, but it's not that big, Right? You realize that it never fully satisfies. That you're never going to have enough. Or you chase after your body image. You decide what the perfect image will look like. And at the moment you, you gain a few pounds, you get a couple of wrinkles on your face, you get a couple of uh, gray hairs, and you feel like what? You feel like you're just totally ugly and you're unlovable. And you got to change that. Vanity kicks in. How do you restore true love? How are you supposed to fight against the false gods of love, the false love that is speaking into your life? Right? You have to recognize the spirit of false love that's there. You have to recognize that these things are happening around you. Okay? Let me tell you guys something. Consider, do you know what makes relationship last forever? You, do you know what makes a, a marriage last? It's not about the physical beauty, that's for sure. Right? Because why? Physical beauty will fade away. It deteriorates over time. But what makes a relationship prosper, flourish, grow, that laughter and joy and depth continues in that relationship is what? Is when you're with somebody whose heart and mind is constantly being renewed, restored, changing, growing, becoming deeper. Because as the years pass, their bodies may fade away, they may deteriorate, but their inner beauty What's going on inside the character comes forth and it's gorgeous. Godliness is beautiful. Amen? Right? Godliness is beautiful. Uh, I'll tell you this. this. You know, when, when you see a uh, handsome guy or a beautiful woman on, on TV and you're like, wow, they're so beautiful, they're so awesome, I want to be with them. But the moment you begin to understand their character, if they end up being superficial, if they end up being like, uh, selfish, if they end up being petty, what happens to that? You're like, yeah, they're pretty, but they're also pretty ugly. Right? Because their focus is only on the outside. And that will fade. Over time, that will fade. But if the inside is continuously growing, that's what keeps the relationship strong and powerful. You see, you got to recognize the spirit of false love. The spirit of false love tells you, get into bed with someone else. But the spirit of true love tells you what? Look at me. Remember from whence you have came. I am here to constantly make you more and more beautiful. I am here to tell you that it's not about what you do or what you have not done. I see you as beautiful over and over and over. That's how you constantly restore true love is when you are able to recognize the false love, 
that's whispering all these lies into your heart. Right? My, my wife, she, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. My wife, sometimes when she sleeps, she, she goes to sleep and we, we go sleep. We go sleep happy, you know, like we're all joking about things and we're just having pillow talk and then she falls asleep. Next morning she'll wake up and she'll be totally mad at me. And I'm like, dude, we've only been asleep for six hours. Like, what, what could I have done in the six hours? I kick you while you're sleeping, but she'll wake up and she'll be pretty mad at me. And she'll be pretty mad at me for a good chunk of the day. And then finally, I'll be like, hey, what's wrong? And she said, I had a bad dream. I said, okay, what happened in your dream? I saw you hanging out with other girls. I said, okay. And how is that my fault? Right? And she said, and it just got me really mad. Right? I said, like, okay, but you're mad at me for something I haven't done yet. Right? She said, yeah. But it could be, it could, this could be possible, right? And, I, and I, I always laugh at her because I always tell her this. I think, honestly, wife, you are the only person besides my mother who finds this handsome, right? Or even attractive in any possible way. I don't think you have a problem there, you know? Because somehow, right, somehow she believes in her mind, right, is that um, there's these false words being given to her, telling her, hey, she's not good enough. She's not pretty enough. She's not great enough. And so he, your husband's going to turn somewhere else. And the reality is, you know, I keep telling her, you are, you are my miracle. You know, if I had any miracle in my life, you are it. Okay? Jesus Christ saving me is the first miracle. Second miracle is that you would marry me. You see, when you recognize the false loves, you recognize what they're saying to you, you have the ability to remember the true love of the one who speaks into you. Remember the heights from which you came. Remember our relationship. Remember our marriage relationship, Jesus says. Okay? And so ultimately, what do we do? How do we restore true love? How do we restore true love? First, we remember the one that loves you. Second, we recognize the spirit of false love. And third, repent and rejoice. Look at verse 5 to 7. It says this. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. Oh, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give, to, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How do you restore love? It's this. It's to repent and rejoice. Repenting means to leave the love of God and return to your husband. To not do so is so detrimental to you. It's not that he's going to punish you, but to not do so would tell you this as a church. God, Jesus is saying, if you, if you don't return to me, you cannot be my witness. I have to take away your lampstand because no longer are you a light for the world. No longer are you a light to the world around you. You are the world around you. You've given over to the love of the world around you. You're not showing them that there's a love greater than that. You've given them, you, you've gone back to listening to the spirit that is guiding the voices of the world, a spirit of false love. Repent from those false lovers and return to your husband. Right? Repent is to admit that nothing will love you like Jesus does. Nothing will forgive you when you fail like Jesus will. Repenting is coming to the knowledge of this. No matter what I've chased after, the only one who has loved me, who has been there, who continues to love me, 
is Jesus Christ. Do you know that, guys? That when Jesus looks at you, when Jesus looks at you, he, is cr he looks at you like a schoolboy looks at his first crush. He looks at you like a schoolboy who looks at his first crush. He, is, he loves you. He adores you. And that's why it grieves his heart so much when you chase after wrong lovers. When you let the kingdom of false loves come and rule over your heart. When you find yourself chasing after wrong, and, uh, when you find yourself chasing after false love, loving gods, right? It grieves his heart. He wants an eternity with you. He says this, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How do you restore true love? How do you come to a place where you're no longer comfortable? You got to remember the one who loves you. Right? You got to remember the one who loves you. You have to recognize the spirit of false loves around you. You have to recognize the spirit of false love that you're chasing after. And thirdly, Repent and rejoice. Repent. Rejoice. Rejoice that no matter what you do, He loves you. No matter what you do, He has a plan for you. No matter what you do, He will bring you home. He, he is on a mission to bring you to the realization of who you are in His eyes. That's what He is. That's what He's done for us. And He's proven that through what? The cross of Jesus Christ. He's proven that. That I'm willing to die to show you how important you are to me. So church, here's my word. I hope that you guys get it. Okay? We are constantly chasing after so many things. And in the church, we oftentimes do all the right things but we have forgotten our first love. We have forsaken our first love. How do you know you've forsaken your first love? The way in which you treat and love people. You tolerate them. You're comfortable with them. But you don't actually sacrifice and give to them. Not only that, you begin to chase after false loves. You, instead of recognizing these things for what it is, these false lover gods, you chase after them as if they are the only thing that can make you happy. And you find yourself over and over feeling beaten, feeling shamed, feeling low because of them. And so what? He calls you to repent. Remember, no one will love you like I love you. Repent, church, to leave those gods behind and come home to me. Continue to do so that you may be a witness and a light of love to those around you. All right? And rejoice. Rejoice. Because there is a God in heaven who wants eternity with you. And no matter what goes on in this world, that truth remains forever. Let's pray.